do that right now. We just pray for this group of high schoolers, um, 14 of them that are going to be going on this New Orleans mission trip. Lord, we pray that tonight as they gather with the others that they're going to be going with, that you would just uh, bless their time, that uh, it would be clear what it is that um, they're going to be doing, that they would come to understanding that they're going to serve you and to serve people that have been uh, devastated um, by the events of hurricanes. And even now, as those people down in that area are now dealing with an oil spill, And, Father, I pray that they would be lights and they would be encouragement to those that are in that area and that you would fill their hearts with your love and fill their hearts uh, with wisdom. And, Lord, prepare them for what you have for them. Bring them back safely tonight. We pray for the junior hires. And, Lord, I pray that as they get ready for camp, that it would be a time that their hearts would be renewed in you, that even at their young age they would understand how much you love them and that, um, that you would do a marvelous work in molding them and shaping them and growing them. So we look forward to what you have for them this month. And Lord, as a congregation, I pray that tonight that we would be encouraged because we see that there were a few men that had such great victory. And Lord, how you can take a few and you can do a mighty work. And so, Lord, I ask that our hearts and ears would be open tonight and stirred as we read your word and and read about Gideon and how you use that mighty man of valor, even though he was the least of all the people in Israel. Uh, Lord, it encourages us and it blesses us. So teach us right now in Jesus' name. You know, when Jesus was talking to his disciples about the kingdom of God and entering into the kingdom of God, they would respond to him by saying, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And here we see in our story tonight that Gideon is seems to be in an impossible situation. That is, here is a, a guy that was hiding from the Midianites, as we saw in chapter 6. We were introduced to Gideon, and Gideon was there at the wine press threshing wheat. He's hiding from the Midianites who had these camels, camels that were their new secret weapon that they were using to come into the land, as well as the Amalekites and the people coming in taking the land, destroying the land. At harvest time, they would take the harvest of the children of Israel, and they were greatly, greatly distressed and impoverished. impoverished. They were poor, is what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Impoverished is what I'm trying to say. And they were hiding in caves. They were ones that headed to the hills. And their land was taken from them. And they were in bondage to the Midianites and the Amalekites because of their sin against God. And so in that captivity, we see that the Lord would come to Gideon and say, Gideon, mighty man of valor. And it was interesting to see the response of Gideon, wasn't it? Gideon's going, who, me? Uh, Me, a mighty man of valor? I'm the least of my family. My family's the least of our tribe. And I am nothing. And so the Lord would give a calling to Gideon. And so in chapter 6, not only was the calling given to Gideon, the least of all those that would be considered to 
free the children of Israel from the captivity and the bondage of the Midianites and, and how there were so many of the Midianites who were there as we saw coming into the land and taking their homes and destroying the land and then the fast camels that would carry a payload and they would go in and out back and forth the Midian because they could travel long distances quickly they could carry a load they didn't need much water and so the children of Israel really found themselves in a place where they were greatly in distress. And so Gideon, in his fear, hiding out at the wine press, should have been at the threshing floor when he was threshing wheat, out in the open where the wind could come and, and, and aid him as they would thresh the wheat. But he didn't want to be seen. So as the Lord gave him the calling, it was Gideon who desired to see the confirmation from the Lord. And so the Lord would touch that sacrifice that Gideon would make, and it consumed the sacrifice. And of course, Gideon was one, he perceived that it was the angel of the Lord. And he said, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And he made an altar there, and he called that altar, the Lord is peace. And of course, as we think about in our own lives, that we are ones, we are in bondage, in bondage to sin, in bondage to the world. But because Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for you and for me, became a sacrifice for you and for me, we can say we have peace with God, don't we? We have peace with God through Jesus Christ, but you see, it doesn't end there. The Lord desires to give us the peace of God as well. And so that's what he is working in Gideon's life, as we see that Gideon still faltering in his face, still needing confirmation. The Lord would say, Gideon, before you're going to have victory with the nation, you need to take care of things in your own family. You need to go to your father's house and tear down those, those altars that are dedicated to Baal and, and those, those wooden images. And, of course, they would have the wooden images there in the wooden groves, and that's where they would practice all kinds of immorality and shady practices were going on in those wooden groves. And so there it was Gideon told to tear down those altars and take away the wooden images and you're to deal with your own household first Gideon and Gideon of course did that and there was great fear in Gideon's heart because the men of Israel at that time had really turned away from the Lord and it was the men that came to Gideon's father and said who did this and somebody said it was Gideon and so it was the men that wanted to kill Gideon right there but it was Gideon's father that stood up for him and said, listen, if, if Baal is really God, then let Baal take care of himself. Let him deal with my son Gideon. And I think what we see in that, that Gideon's father was convicted, seeing what his son had done, standing for righteousness, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord, getting rid of those, those altars that were dedicated to the pagan gods and idols. And you see, when you and I stand for righteousness, sometimes we think, oh, I want to be a, a great witness to the world around me. And that is something that I hope that we say. But first, we need to take care of things at home. And we need to make sure that we don't forget our families and our people that are close to us, to be committed to, in our homes, to clear out those things that may cause those to be distracted away from the Lord. And so to check our own lives, to check our own hearts, to check what's going on in our own homes, and that's going to lead to greater things that the Lord wants to do. So Gideon took care of things at home, and then we saw that we saw 
um, Gideon desiring even more confirmation. So he put out the sign of the fleece. And that's where we saw that, of course, the Lord would confirm to Gideon that, Gideon, I'm going to use you. We saw in, in verses 33 and 34 and 35 that it was as the Midianites and the Amalekites had gathered together, they camped there in the valley of Jezreel, that it was Gideon that then blew the trumpet. He's, he was filled there with the Spirit of the Lord that came upon Gideon. And as he blew the trumpets, there was the tribes of Asher and, and Zebulon and Naphtali that came to meet them. And that's what we're going to see now, is this gathering of Gideon's army. But the key for being used of the Lord, and there's some very important illustrations here, that in applications uh, in what we read in the illustrations here and how to be used of the Lord and how the Lord can use you and I in a very powerful way. But first of all, remember this, that foremost, that it is the work of the Lord and the Spirit of God coming upon in our lives. You see, those disciples that gathered in the early church in Acts chapter 1, some of those disciples felt so defeated. Can you imagine Peter who was praying at that time? It was not that long before that. That there in Acts chapter 1, that he had said to the Lord, that, Lord, I'll stick up for you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But you see, Peter said that out of the flesh, didn't he? And as though I think he meant it, and, and he desired to, to stand up for the Lord on that night that he was betrayed, he was doing it out of his flesh. And anything that we do for the Lord, and, and we do um, that because of our love for him and our service to him, we need to understand that it needs to be a work of the Spirit. And so Jesus said that you wait here in Jerusalem for the coming upon of the Holy Spirit to empower you to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the other ends of the earth. He said the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you just as we read that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon to empower you. That's that, that word dudamos where we get our word dynamite. And we need the filling. We need the Spirit of God just working through our lives. And what has begun in the Spirit, try not to perfect in the flesh. It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so those disciples were then filled with the Spirit of God, and they over, you know, Turn the world upside down, as the book of Acts says. And it was the enemies of God that said, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. That is the doctrine of Jesus. And what I pray is that we would be ones, that we would say, Lord, I'm yielded to you. And Lord, I just want more of you and what you have for me in my life and how I can honor you and how I can serve you and walk with you. It's a work of the Spirit. So let's read chapter 7. Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and encamped beside the well of Harad, so that the camp of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. So Jerubbaal, which means contender, or one who comes against Baal, that's what his father called him, that Gideon would actually tear down those altars of Baal and tear down those wooden images. He was called Jerubbaal, the one who contends and comes against, competes against uh, Baal, that, that god of the Canaanites. And so here he is, and he blows the trumpet, and there he's at 
the um, well of Harad, there at the base of the mountain. We read in verse 2, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the many knights into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My, my own hand has saved me. In verse 3, Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people return, and 10,000 remain. So Gideon blows the trumpet. 32,000 men come from the hills of Ephraim and in that area and around uh, uh, Mount Gilead. And there at the base of the mountain, there is a spring. If you go to Israel with us next year, we will go to this site. And we will go to this actual spring that was flowing even 3,250 years ago. And there at the base of, of the mountain there of Mount Gilead, it bubbles up, and, and, and there that stream is called Harad, which means kind of bubbling, trembling is what it means. And those men came down from the mountain, 32,000 of them, and they're looking at 135,000 Mennonites, as we're going to see. And you know that in their hearts they were trembling. And many of them are afraid. And so here's 32,000 going to face 135,000 Midianites in war with their fast camels and, and all the people that are encamped across the valley there. And you see, the odds aren't good for Gideon and his men. They're outnumbered four to one at this point right now. So here is Gideon blowing the trumpet. 32,000 men come. He's saying, well, at least I got 32,000. But the Lord says to Gideon, Gideon, you got too many men. I don't want you to think when you get the victory, and I'm the one that's going to give it to you, that you think, well, it's because of us. I want you to know that I am working amongst you. And here's the thing about God working in our lives and using us, a couple things. First of all, if you want to be used of the Lord, the first principle that we see here is you've got to be available. These men came down, and they are available. Now, we're going to see that there's going to be a subtraction. But one of the things that, first of all, for you and I to be used of the Lord in whatever he has called you to do, you need to say in your heart, Lord, I'm available. I have heard this saying, I think it's true in a lot of ways, that your greatest ability is your availability. And I know that people, they, they say, oh, I want to be used of the Lord. I want to serve the Lord in some way. For you who perhaps are sensing that touch and, and hearing the voice of the Lord say, I want to use you, and, and you're saying yes, the best thing that you can do is say, how can I be available? Because you can't be used of the Lord if you don't make yourself available. And at least these guys responded to the sound of the trumpet. I think more could have came, but they didn't. So the first principle is they made themselves available. The Lord says, Gideon, there's too many guys. And so I'm going to subtract some of them. You tell them that whoever is afraid, whoever is fearful, they can go and depart at once. And so that's what he did. And all of a sudden now 32,000, 22,000 leave. Now can you imagine what Gideon was thinking when that happened? Hey, any of you guys that are afraid, I appreciate you being here, being available, and you know, responding to the sound of the trumpet. But if you have fear in you, if you are fearful, think about it. They're looking at 135,000 Midianites across the valley there with their fast camels. And he, as we saw that, that the camels, they're numbered uh, the, the sand of the seashore in the previous chapter. So all these camels and activities and camps and stuff, and they're going, there's only 32,000 of us. There's a whole bunch of them. We're way outnumbered. And you can imagine that they were full of fear. 
So 22,000 of them put their tail between their legs, packed up their stuff, and they left. So now it's 10,000 that are left. 10,000 against 135,000. The odds now are almost 14 to 1. And to the world, it seemed like that Gideon, there was no way. How can 10,000 be able to defeat 135,000 of the Midianites with their new secret weapon, the camels, and all the things that they have? They certainly had the advantage. You know, one of the things that I have found in my life, and it's not an easy lesson to learn, I'm still learning it, is that right before God wants to work, oftentimes there's a subtraction. And sometimes I think, Lord, why are you taking this away? And why is it that it seems like they're leaving or whatever it might be? It's because God wants to get me to a point where I'm trusting in him alone. And don't find it to be odd if when you have a calling that God has given to you or you make yourself available for service to the Lord, that all of a sudden things begin to be, you know, subtracted. All of a sudden things begin to leave and they're not working out the way that you thought. Because what the Lord wants you to do, what he wants me to do, is not trust in the things around us or even the people around us. Oh, I'm grateful for people that I can count on and, and are faithful. But what the Lord wants you and I to do is ultimately to trust in him that we are looking for him for victory and for, for him to, to work in a way where we say, yes, Lord, it is you working through us as we look to you and the work that you're doing in us and through us. So don't be surprised when you're sitting there going, why is there subtraction? Why is there this that's taking place? Because God is about ready to do a marvelous work. And then you look and see what God does and you say, you know what, Lord, the great victory that you've given to me or the great work that you're doing through me. It's all because of you, Lord. It isn't because of me. And so here is 10,000 against 135,000 as 22,000 of them leave. And so bless Gideon's heart. The Lord's not through with them. The Lord said to Gideon, verse 4, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped putting their hands to their mouth was 300 men, but all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink the water. In verse 7, the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to this place. So here is 10,000. He says, Guys, go and get a drink of water. And Gideon was told by the Lord that those who drink in a certain way, you're going to set those aside, and those are going to be the ones that you use. So in this spring, and, and there is a a spring that's there that bubbles out, and then it's a stream that goes down. And today what they've made is, is kind of a large pool, and it's a large parkway and stuff that's there that people in Israel go and relax, and they swim and have a great time and have picnics, picnics and stuff. wasn't that way in Gideon's time. I mean, this is serious. They're looking across the valley at the enemy. Get a drink of water, guys. And the Lord told them that the guys that get down on all four that just drink the water, I want you to dismiss them. The guys that get down and then cup the water and bring it up, 
Those are the ones that I want you to use. And so again, can you picture Gideon? He's going along and it's like, oh, 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 look at that guy. He's cupping his water. 9,700 of them are dismissed. He's left with 300. So all of a sudden, the odds go from 4 to 1 to 14 to 1 to 450 to 1. And Gideon is left with 400 and, or 300 guys that are going to go against 135,000 Midianites. Again, the odds being 450 to 1. And God says, these are the guys I want to use to give great victory. An impossible situation. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Matter of fact, it's a certainty. And God's going to show Gideon, and he's going to show us tonight, how there was just a few that he can do such an amazing work and gain great victory in using those who just say, you know what, Lord, we are few, but you make us strong. 450 to 1. Does that number kind of ring a bell with you? You know, I was thinking about that. 450, that rings a bell with me somehow. And I remembered 1 Kings chapter 18. There is Elijah, that fiery prophet there at Mount Carmel. And he says to the people, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? And again, they were worshiping Baal. And he said, if Baal is God, then worship him. If the Lord is God, then worship the Lord. And he challenged what? 450 prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel. And they set up the, the altar to Baal and the sacrifice and cried out to Baal all day with no answer. And Elijah set up his sacrifice and said a simple prayer and fire came and consumed the sacrifice, the wood of the sacrifice. It was Elijah that was outnumbered 450 to 1. But he had great victory there on Mount Carmel. And of course, the prophets of Baal would be slewed at that time as well. And as we in our lives desire to serve the Lord, to be used of the Lord. You know, it can be a very frightening thing because it seems like that we can be overwhelmed. It seems like that we're outnumbered and there's so much that is against us. But you see, there's going to be a very important lesson that Gideon is going to learn that you and I need to always remember, and it's this. It's not the numbers. The one number that matters is him. As long as he is with us and as long as we know that, Lord, you'll never leave me or forsake me, It doesn't matter what the odds are. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. And here are these 300 guys that are going to go against 135,000 Midianites, and the Lord is saying, yeah, now you're going to get victory, and now you're going to see that it's me. Now, there's a couple things about this as I think about this, and, and I think that, you know, we can think about it and make some application. I used to think, okay, these 300 guys... Why did the Lord pick them? The guys that cupped the water and brought it up to their faces. At at first, when I first time that I taught this years ago, I thought, these are the guys that, you know, they're really paying attention. The 9,700 other guys just dove their face in the water and stuff, and and they really weren't watching the enemy across the valley. And they were too busy in the water, too busy with their faces in the water. The guys that cupped the water, they're, they're the ones that were vigilant. They're the ones that are, are watching. I used to think that perhaps they were the ones that were the elite Israeli forces, you know, in all of this. And perhaps there's some truth in that. Because in the New Testament, we are told over and over again that we are to be vigilant, we are to be watchful. And I'll tell you the truth on this. 
that the person that God desires to use and does use in a very powerful way is the one who is watching, the one who is vigilant, the one who isn't sleeping spiritually or apathetic, the one who is paying attention. You see, Peter told us that we're to watch out. You're to watch. You watch out for the enemy, that is, who, Satan, who is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And in our lives, especially in these days in which we're living in, folks, if you want to be used of the Lord, you've got to be watchful. You've got to watch out for the enemy and the tactics that he's going to use against you and your family, against the church here, against your, your marriage, any way that he can get a foothold into your lives and to our lives. We need to be watchful, but also, as we are told to watch, to be watching for the Lord to be looking to him. And I believe that the one who is vigilant and watchful and and awake spiritually is the one that God is going to use in the days in which we were living. So perhaps they were the ones that were that. There's some application. But I suspect that the other side of the coin is this, that these 300 guys were the ones that were maybe the older guys, maybe the guys with, you know, the bad backs and the bad knees and the big belly, and they couldn't get down enough, so they had to cup the water in their mouths. I'm suspecting it's probably that, because that's the way God works. And here is Gideon, who is the least in his family, in the least of Israel, to be leading the children of Israel, and now he's got 300 ragtag guys that are coming behind him that, you know, got bad knees and bad backs, older guys, maybe not the young buff guys, you know, that you would think of. I'm suspecting maybe it's that, because God chooses the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world to confound the strong, confound the wise, and the things that are not, to bring the not to things that are, that no man can glory in his presence. For us to be used of the Lord, to really experience victory in the things that God wants to do, First of all, you've got to understand that it's a work of the Spirit. Do you understand that God wants to use you? And I think that the mistake that Christians make is, how can God ever use me? I used to think that. If you were to tell me 20 years ago that God would use me in any way that he has used me, I would have laughed. And a lot of other people would have laughed at you. But God has chosen the foolish and weak things of the world. And if he wants to use somebody like me, I know he wants to use somebody like you. But I can't take the glory because God is using somebody that, you know, has just said, I remember in my life saying, Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm available. Whatever you want to do with my life, I don't care if it's sweeping the sidewalks or whatever it might be. And that's how I began to serve the Lord. Just serving in very simple ways. And as you are faithful in those little things, then God will give you greater things to do. If that's your desire, if that's a possibility in where he has you in your life. But you make yourself available, understanding. And that's the thing that I hope that we understand as we go through the gifts of the Spirit. That is he that's going to distribute those gifts as he wills to empower you and enable you in what he desires for you to do. He wants you to do something. He has a calling And he desires to use every single Christian if they just say, Lord, I yield to you. And Lord, to what you want to do, you do that work through me, I make myself available. And then not to have the spirit of fear, 
There are times that we're going to be fearful and we doubt and go through things like that. But Paul says, as Christians, he hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. And knowing that as long as the Lord is with us, we don't have to be afraid. And it is Gideon that he still, he's got 300 guys here that, how are we going to defeat the 135,000 Midianites? There are times in our lives we're thinking, Lord, how are you going to work in this way? And the Lord says, you just watch and let me work. Because you have me, and that's what's important. And so here is Gideon with these 300 guys. And, and also, I think another important point that we're going to see as we continue on here in verse 8. And what we read is, So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. And he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. And it happened the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp of, with uh, pure, uh, pure, Pura, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. And I went down with Pura and his servant to the outpost of the armed men who were, were in the camp. In verse 12, the Mennonites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valleys as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come there, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It it came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. And then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. And to the hand God has delivered Midian in the whole camp. Verse 15, so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped, he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. The Lord says to Midian, I understand. He understands, but we're but dust. He understands that we can have those fears and those doubts and stuff. He doesn't condemn Gideon for that, but he confirms once again. Gideon, if you're afraid, I understand that you look out and there are so many camels and and the people that are there and you only have 300. This is what I want you to do. You take your servant and you guys go down and I want you to hear something that, that the Midianites are saying. So that's what they did, which shows me that Gideon was afraid. And so here they are, and they sneak over to the camp, and these two guys, the Midianites, are having this conversation. And one of them said, man, I had a dream last night, and this dream, this barley loaf came and, and tumbled down and, and took down our tent, and I don't know what that was all about. The tent collapsed, and, and the other guy says, man, it's nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. And God has delivered Midian in, in the whole camp. And to his hand. And Gideon heard that. He was, oh man, God has delivered the Midianites to us. It was that confirmation once again. But here's the interesting thing, couple things. He said in that dream, that Midianite, that a barley loaf came and hit the temp and tumbled it. He didn't say it was this massive rock. He didn't say it was this F-15, you know, fighter jet that came in or, you know, a cruise missile that came in. Just kind of this barley loaf, you know. Barley loaf? that came in and tumbled this tent. You know, how God uses us in amazing ways. It isn't this spectacular thing and this you know, all-showy, powerful thing that sometimes we think. It's very simple ways that God uses us to do a supernatural work that he wants to do through us and, and 
to the people around us as we minister to them. And the other one said, oh no, <laughs> we're in trouble. It's that guy, Gideon. You know that guy, the son of Joash? Now here's the thing, Gideon wasn't known, was he? When we were in chapter 6 last week, Gideon wasn't known. He said, who am I? Who am I? I'm the least of my family. My family's the least of my tribe. Who am I to lead the children of Israel? So all of a sudden, the Midianites are talking about Gideon. They know about him. So what happened in between? How did his name begin to spread amongst the camps of the Midianites? I have a suggestion for you. It was when he tore down that altar and that worship place of Baal. Because word began to spread that Gideon, he tore down that altar that we worship at, of our gods, Baal. He tore them down. He's Zerubbabel. He's contended and come against Baal, this Gideon guy. And you know what? Your name will begin to spread when you begin to stand for righteousness, particularly in the day in which we were living in. And there may be those at work or those in your family and those who live next to you and say, there's that guy, there's that, that gal, that they stand for righteousness. They believe in the Lord. They don't have those altars that we do in, our, in their lives and in their homes. But you know what? You stand for what is right. And you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. And your name's going to be talked about. But maybe be talked about in a way that, you know what, here's a man, a woman that loves the Lord and stands for the truth of the Lord. And I think we're seeing less and less of that in the day in which we were living in. And you know what, it doesn't bother me when I hear, you know, people say, oh, that Pastor Jeff Calvary Chapel, you know, he's the one that just teaches the Bible. He's the one that believes, you know, in the creation story. He's the one that believes the Lord's going to come back because that's what the Lord has said in his word. And I'm going to stand on the authority and infallibility and the inspiration of Scripture. And I'm going to give it to you. But there are too many pastors and ministry leaders that are laying down truth and, and falling away from it just to kind of go with the culture or go with what politically is correct. Or, you know what, I don't want to seem to be too much of a one that's, you know, believes in absolute truth. I believe in absolute truth, and here it is. Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. And people will know you as you just stand for truth and what God has to say to you and how you are to live. So they know Gideon all of a sudden. And so Gideon is one that worships and he says, Hey, the Lord has delivered the camp of Mennonites into your hand. Verse 16, Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I do come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. Verse 17, Does that remind you of anything recently? Here is Gideon, and he's instructing his guys, and he says, you know what, we're going to divide up into three companies, a hundred each, and you're going to have a sword in one hand, you're going to have a pitcher, a clay pot in another hand. We'll see what they do with that, but verse 17, he says, look at me and do likewise, watch. It was Paul the Apostle, remember, just a few weeks ago in chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, what did he say? He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And if you truly want to be used of the Lord, if you really want to be a leader, I pray that as your leader in your home or leader 
in being used of the Lord that you can say to others, watch me and do what I do. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And when Paul was saying that, he wasn't saying, you know, worship me or follow after me because I'm so great and mighty. He was saying, you imitate me as I imitate Christ. And as much as I follow after the Lord and dedicate it to him, you do those things as well. And that is something that a true leader will be able to say to his kids, to her kids, to other family members, to the people that you minister to, that you watch me and do what I do. How I pray for that, that I can say that with a clear conscience to my children, to my family, and to you here at Calvary Chapel. Because I understand it's a great responsibility that God has given to me. That to be an example of a godly man, just as Paul told Timothy, Timothy, you be an example. You be an example. In faith, and in love, and purity. You be an example in those things. And that's what you and I are to do. And may we say that Lord help me be able to turn to others and say imitate me, follow me, watch what I do because I am doing what the Lord has told me to do and instructed me to do and how I live my life and that's what Gideon is doing here he says you guys look at me and watch and, and when I come to the edge of the camp you shall do as I do in verse 18 when I blow the trumpet I and all who are with me then you shall also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And so Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just as they had posted the watch and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. And the 300 companies blew the three companies that is blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands, the trumpets in their right hands for the blowing. They cried, "Sword in the Lord of Gideon!" And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. And when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord said, "Every man's sword against his companion." Throughout the whole camp, and the army fled to both. Uh, to Bethachea towards Zaera as far as the border is Abel Meholah by Tabith. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali and Asher and all Manasseh and pursued the Midianites. Verse 23. So all of a sudden they come to the edge. There's three companies, each of a hundred, kind of surrounding the camp of the Midianites. And Gideon blows the trumpet, and the word goes out, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And as they have a sword in one hand, they have a pitcher in the other hand, and they break those pots. Now those clay pots, what they were is clay pots that had hot coals in them. And when they broke those pots, the wind would rush in and ignite those those clay pots where fire would come out. So all of a sudden here are the Midianites and they say 300 of these torches you know, ignite. And what they are thinking in their confusion is there's got to be 300 companies that are there with 100 men each. And they surrounded us. So they're very confused as this, this torch goes up through these, these clay pots that were broken. As we desire to be used of the Lord, to understand that there's a place of availability. There's a place of recognizing our shortcomings, 
and our frailties. And so, Lord, it has to be a work of you, of you empowering us. And there is a place of brokenness and humility. You see, in this, it reminds me so much of what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And when he's talking about the distress and the difficulties of ministry that him and others have gone through that ministered with him, he said that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You know, we're the earthen vessels. We're the clay pots. We're pretty earthy at times, at least I am. And I'm so thankful that I have this treasure that's in this earthen vessel. And one of the things that you will discover, and some of you are discovering it, just as I continue to discover it more and more. You know, there are people that say, be on fire for the Lord, be on fire. I have found out that usually when I'm ignited in my heart, it comes through that humility and that brokenness. When the earthen vessel is broken, then all of a sudden the coal's ignited. And Paul talks about that through our own brokenness and humility that we see the Lord doing a powerful work and people look at us through the brokenness and through the humility and say, man, the Lord is using you. I can see the light. I can see the light that's in you, the treasure that's in you because all you are is a vessel, an earthen vessel, a clay pot. And through the brokenness, I'm seeing the Lord work in your life and through your life and it's a tremendous witness. God wants to use you in a powerful way. Oftentimes it comes through the brokenness and humility of our life. As the light is revealed, the treasure is revealed through us broken pots, uh, the, the earthen vessels. And so here we see that they break those pots. The people panic of the Mennonites. They begin to flee, and, and it would be the Mennonites that began to uh, cry out, and they fled in verse 21. Um, and the Lord said, every man, verse 22, soared against his companion throughout the whole camp. They began to turn on each other. There was so much confusion that they began to, to take the sword out and kill one another. You know, that's something, by the way, that God's going to do in the future. Do you know that? When we talk about the battle of Gog and Magog, when Gog comes against the armies of Israel yet in the future in Ezekiel 38 and 39, we know that God is going to, as once again Israel is going to be facing overwhelming odds as this army comes against them and encamps around them. And a great multitude with those who are ready for war, ready to destroy Israel, and God's going to fight on their behalf. And in Ezekiel 38 says, I will call for a sword against God throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. So again, we're going to see this confusion where they're going to turn. This is yet future in that war of Gog and Magog that they, the enemy, will turn and their swords on, on each other. And he goes on and he says, And I will turn you around and lead you, bringing you up from far north and bringing you against the mountains of Israel. And I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. The enemies, their weapons are just going to fall on the ground. God's going to do the fighting for them and cause confusion. And, and much like what we see with Gideon and the 135,000 Midianites here that begin to kill each other and begin to 
flee. And so verse 23, the men of Israel gathered again from that Taliashur and Manasseh pursued the Midianites. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and seize from them at the watering places as far as Beth Bara and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Beth Bara and the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the wine presses of Zeb. And they pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. And so we see here that Ephraim gets involved in it. And Ephraim, as they get involved in this battle here, they come and they catch two princes of the Midianites, um, Oreb and Zeb, and they take their heads off and they bring them over to Gideon. Now that's going to lead us into chapter 8. I would love to go through chapter 8 tonight, but we're not going to have time to go into chapter 8. I just want a couple, couple verses here, and then we'll finish it next time because there's some real important lessons in chapter 8 that go along with being used of the Lord. But let's continue in the first couple of verses of chapter 8. Now the men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this to us by not calling us when we went when you went to fight with the Mennonites, and they reprimanded him sharply. So he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezar? And God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? And then their anger towards them subsided when he said that. So here's Ephraim. Ephraim, they all of a sudden, after the battle begins and after the many knights begin to flee we're going to see next week the 120,000 many knights are killed and there is um, Gideon and his 300 guys that are going to pursue the 15,000 remaining and also what we see is all of a sudden Ephraim gets involved they capture these two princes and they kill them and bring them to Gideon but then they rebuke Gideon and they say why didn't you call us now here's the interesting thing there's no record, as we see, that it was Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh that came when the call was given. Whether Ephraim heard that call or not, the indication here is that they didn't. And so they're upset. They said, Gideon, why didn't you call us? Why didn't we come at the time? And Gideon, he answers very diplomatically, very humbly, and he says, listen, what you guys have done and getting these two princes is, is remarkable. It is even greater than what we did. It's kind of like Gideon was saying, all we did was blow a trumpet and break a pitcher and watch these guys go crazy. But you guys have done something really important and got these two guys and now you're holding their heads in front of me, you know. He said, what you have done is very important. And sometimes when we serve the Lord, we think, well, why wasn't I involved in that part or doing this? But understand that all of us have a part in what God is doing. And whatever part that God has you doing, that part is very, very important. So I think Gideon uses some very, very wise, godly counsel here. And of course, it's Proverbs 15 that says, A soft answer turns away wrath, and a harsh word stirs up anger. Gideon didn't stir up anger. He could have said, Listen, God chose me. He called me. He used me and these 300 guys behind me. And we're the ones that have great victory. Forget you guys. We don't need you anyway. You came in after the fact. <laughs> two princes. Forget you guys. We're going after the two kings now. And that's what he's going to do. But he encourages them and he says, listen. 
The harvest that you guys did, the gleaning that you did, that was important, even more important than what we do. And I just want to say that those of you who serve, serve here at Calvary Chapel, that the work that God has called you to do, there's no insignificant work. That how he has gifted you and called you and how you've made yourself available, whether that's handing out bulletins or whatever God has you to do, that that's very significant. And you're a part of what God wants to do. One more point, and then we're going to take a communion. 300 against 135,000 Midianites. You know, I think about that number 300, probably about the size of Calvary Chapel Greeley. And I, we look out at this community that Greeley's 90-some thousand, 92,000 now, and Evans and the surrounding area, we're probably looking at around 130,000 people. I don't want us to ever think that God can't use a little fellowship like this for great victory for his kingdom. And you see, our warfare is going to be the truth of God's word and people that love him in prayer and people that are dedicated to him. And I believe God wants to do a great and mighty work through us corporately in reaching this community because there's so much darkness that's out there. Reading in the paper yesterday, I believe they did an opinion how it seems like Greeley seems to always get in the national news and odd things and bad things and all of this, and it's true. There's a lot of confusion out there. And there's a lot of doubts, and there's a lot of deception, and a lot of darkness. And God wants to use us. We may not be mighty. That we have the Lord on our side to do a marvelous work. May we be watchful. May we make ourselves available. I pray that this church would never say, let's get complacent, but we would say, Lord, you're coming soon. And there's work to be done. And you can use us in the way that you want to for great victory for your kingdom. And so, Father, we thank you. And we thank you so much for this very encouraging story given to us here of Gideon. How you use somebody who seemed so insignificant in the least, but yet great victory came through him. One who made himself available. One who just looked to you, Lord, even in his doubts and fears, seeing you confirm and to uplift and encourage as you gave him signs, Lord, as you worked in his life. And there was great victory. Lord, we know that we have victory because the one sign that you gave, and that was Jesus going to the cross at Calvary. And that's what we remember tonight as we open up the communion table, Lord, that we remember how Jesus took his body, allowed it to be broken, and his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. And we take of the communion elements tonight remembering that and also remembering that you are with us. You promise you'll never leave us or forsake us. And we have victory in our lives, but Lord, how you want to use us to further your kingdom. You want to show yourself strong on our behalf. And so, Lord, draw us close to yourself as we do come to the communion table. We come in a heart of thankfulness and a heart of gratitude for what's been provided for us 
that is forgiveness of sin and the hope of heaven. Lord, thank you. Bless this time as we commune with you, as we just worship, as we take of the elements, Lord. May we just come, just once again, in awe, your grace and your mercy in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.